Good morning and welcome to a new episode or entry for the Morning Star Journal with me, Tariq. Uh, this is just a time that I take to uh, give you my own personal retrospective review, just my overall thoughts on books, movies, TV shows, video games, comics, just about anything and everything. And today is a little bit special, and hopefully I won't uh, ramble on too much, because it is, uh, this is actually um, a a topic that's very uh, close and near and dear to me. Um, Today's going to be a little bit different, where normally on this... um, on this podcast, I usually try to go over uh, older things, maybe things that don't that um, that I've experienced in the past that don't get as much limelight, or you know, you don't see um, talked about too much. But trying to you know show why I was excited and why I liked these things before, and maybe um, convince anyone listening to um, either read or watch some of these things. But today's going to be a little bit different, in which I'm going to actually talk about something that's going to come out in the future, but also tie back into uh, something that I actually read uh, way back in the past when it first came out. And today, I'm going to actually talk about Disney Plus's new Star Wars series that will be coming out in November, The Mandalorian, and also tie into an old book that I read a long time ago um, that some people might remember, Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Um, so I'm really excited about not only The Mandalorian, but also just talking about the whole Bounty Hunters and Star Wars in general. Uh, so before we get into all that, let me just give you kind of a, hopefully just a brief history. This might uh, ramble on for a long time because uh, Star Wars is, if you know me, it's something near and dear to me that I've basically grown up on Star Wars, though I can't remember when I first watched the um, first Star Wars New Hope or Empire Strikes Back, I definitely remember Return of the Jedi, because uh, it did, um, it was out when I was born, and out of all the movies, that's always the one that I always go back on. I know a lot of people um, really like, like Empire Strikes Back is considered the best out of all of them. Um, I've grown to really like Star Wars A New Hope for its just introduction to everything and its um, now seem as simplicity, but also its complexity and building this world, but giving us a really simple and easy story that you can follow along with while also like I said building this Star Wars universe that will come to love but Return of the Jedi for me um, I think resonates a little bit more um, just because it was out you know time I was actually alive and also I mean I hate to say it but you know the Ewoks they actually spoke to me. I mean, um, I know the Ewoks were done more or less for, um, you know, kids or, you know, for a younger audience to bring back to, but it worked for me when I was a kid. Um, I enjoy Wicked and the rest of the little guys and, um, 
like I said, growing up with Star Wars, I was absolutely into things like the droids and Ewoks cartoon, uh, Saturday morning cartoon series that came out. Uh, used to, my parents used to get me a lot of the uh, Star Wars toys. So I had like uh, Luke, um, Han, uh, the Millennium Falcon, um, several others, a TIE fighter. I, I, I remember uh, Vader's TIE fighter and at least the Millennium Falcon. I remember having those toys specifically. Um, but I was really into just uh, everything I could get my hands on Star Wars. Um, kind of growing up, there w- it was really limited. And when it came to Star Wars, you know, you didn't have a lot of choices. I mean, you did have a lot of toys, but it wasn't until later that, you know, I saw that there were books, um, which kind of ties into Tales of Bounty Hunters, which I'll get to. But, you know, as far as things to actually watch or enjoy, you know, we're pretty much limited growing up. And it's amazing how Star Wars managed to survive without it. If you think of today, you know, without something on TV or something in the movies, you know, a franchise that we know of, you know, in the uh 2000s and going you know to today would have died out but Star Wars managed to stay without having a real series I mean you just had the Ewok and Joy cartoon series later on you had the uh, Ewok uh, was it Caravan of uh, (laughs) I was about to mention a different podcast uh, version of but no Caravan of Courage um, and I think a battle for Endor maybe was the second one, but that was it. And those were kind of family. Those were, it's funny cause, um, maybe I have a little bit of nostalgia going on with those, but you know, those weren't really, they were kind of kid friendly cause it did star a kid who was, you know, trailing around with the Ewoks and then. Um, trying to find in, in the first one, I believe she was trying to find this little girl who was trying to find her um, family and team up the Ewoks. But like she went on this like heroin adventure, like deep into you know the forest moon and fighting like all these creatures and stuff, um, which probably wouldn't be considered you know kids today. And then in the second one, um. It actually starts off with the entire family, except for the girl getting killed. Um, spoiler for this movie that's almost like 30 years old and one hard to find, because I think uh, Disney tends to try to uh, not acknowledge those Ewok uh, movies. But like the very beginning, they're attacked by these, like, I remember they're attacked by these random marauders or whatever, these raiders, trying to get some power thing or whatever is like a power core or something like that. And the entire family is killed. So this is, it, it's funny because Ewoks is still built as this kind of family uh, element. I'm not going to say kids, but like a family element. Um, but it starts off with this little girl's entire family getting killed. And most of the Ewoks, I think, get captured um, in the end, they meet this like old hermit who, of course, happens also be a, a pilot, I guess. And you know, in the very end of the uh, uh, show, in the end of that movie, I believe, the girl and the hermit actually end up just 
taken off. Like, they get the power crystal and they're able to power up a ship and they leave. Um, which, like I said, this kind of crazy, this kind of, like I said, this kind of dark thing was actually geared towards, but if you look at most of the uh, cartoons and films that were kind of family, they weren't afraid back in the um, you know, 80s and 90s to go a little bit serious and dark in films that were still meant for kids. It's just that they would, even though it would be dark or serious, they would tone things down. Like you wouldn't see excessive blood or you wouldn't see gore or nudity or sexual content or things like that. But it would be kind of like serious elements or people would be killed per se. Um, but on a weird kind of side tangent, which I'm going to be doing that uh, probably quite a bit on this, I guess. Um, the Battle for Your Door, the, the Ewok movies, actually reminds me of a fun, uh, uh, was it a conspiracy thought that, uh, that came up for Force Awakens. So, you know, when Force Awakens first came out, there was, you know, all these theories on... Uh, who's this um, Finn guy? Who's this you know new stormtrooper? And you know who's this uh, new character Ray? And you know whatever and all these different you know theories before the movies came out or before the books started coming out that you know went into a lot of these backstories. But one of the funniest ones that I kind of wish was true is the one-eyed Phasma. So if you don't know uh, Captain Phasma, who was in Force Awakens, was the one in the uh, silver outfit. Um, and it's a shame because you would think that that character would have gotten more play and she really doesn't have a lot of lines, which is just a shame. And even though in Last Jedi, it does very much look like she's killed, I, I'm i really hoping that she manages to survive. I mean, technically Kylo is on that ship too that's being destroyed. So, I mean, you know, she just falls down like a shaft and it is in flames but I mean you know she's wearing like high grade armor and, and if she's like this survivalist you would imagine that you know she can manage to escape somehow so I'm kind of hoping you know lucking out that maybe Phasma escaped and then this new um, Rise of Skywalker maybe they'll you know redeem her but anyway um, the actress who plays her is Gwendolyn Christie which a lot of people will probably know from Brienne of Tarth from the Game of Thrones series. And uh, one of the funniest series that I've heard, kind of going back to Ewoks, was that the little girl, and I can't remember what her name was, but from the Ewok uh, movies, she's the one who, after escaping, grows up to eventually become Phasma. And the funny part about it is that uh, the... uh, the girl, of course, uh, in the Ewok Vitches was white, had blonde hair. If you see uh, most of uh, Gwyneth Christie's pictures, she is she's uh, very tall. She's white. She also has blonde hair. Also, the age would have put the girl, I think in the Ewok show, she's probably around um, 10 or 11. So that would put her in, if, if it's all real time, when the Ewok show came out, and if it happens right after... Return of the Jedi, then that would put her being in her, you know, maybe mid thirty, mid or late thirties. So it kind of lines up, and I really wish that, uh, given more lines and more dialogue, 
with Captain Phasma, she actually mentions, yeah, she was on Endor at one point, but after the whole battle, and <laughs> that would be great if they uh, tied that in. But anyway, I don't think they're going to go that route. But kind of trying to get back on track here. Um, you know, there wasn't a lot of Star Wars media to really consume. Now, later on, a lot of video games come out, and the video games, you know, for the Nintendo and later Super Nintendo, they usually stuck with what, you know, most people knew. So it was recreations of Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, and Returns of Jedi. Now, later on, with the, I believe with the N64, came um, Shadows of the Empire, which was this um, adventure in between story between Empire Strikes Back and um, Return of the Jedi, where you play as this uh, rogue smuggler named, uh, I think, Dash Rendar. I think that's who that was, if I remember correctly. And, you know, and this is his old adventures where he's helping track down uh, the bounty hunters that took Han and helping out the rebellion a little bit here and there. But it was like one of those, you know, games that um, that actually took place in between but still had that Star Wars feel. Not only did you have the game, but there was also a book. And um, supposedly there was going to be a show or a movie that was going to be based off of it. Um... And you can actually, you can tell that because they introduced things like um, the Black Sun, I believe, which was this criminal organization that if you look at, uh, so if you watch Solo, I think they call them the Crimson Dawn, but really that's just the Black Sun. That's almost exactly like what the Black Sun was. And I wonder if they just didn't use it because everything is considered Legends. That's not their new or the current Star Wars. But anyway. Um, so you had that. There were things like the uh, Rogue Squadron series. And that later got me into the books, per se. And um, one of the major two books, other than um, Tales of the Bounty Hunters, was also X-Wing Rogue Squadron which followed this group of pilots that were um, commanded by Wedge from the uh, Star Wars movies, who was like the Luke's kind of like um, wingman for a lot of missions, where he actually commands this kind of like uh, elite squadron of X-Wing X fighters as they kind of help the Rebellion, or at this point, the New Republic. Um, but again, you know... All we had were the books. So you had a lot of books that, you know, spanned not only um, stories in between, which was one of the big things. And it's kind of sad that we're missing that, or at least you don't hear about them as much, um, you know, back then before, even before the prequels came out. Um, we had so many books that talked about all these different misadventures between the stories, because, you know, if you look at, um, the original trilogy, there were several years in between 
each of the movie, not just real time, but within the movie universe. Several years had passed between each movies, so there was room for all these different adventures that not only the main crew, but secondary characters you saw go on. And it sparked like a lot of imagination. I mean, you can go on YouTube and um, look up fan films of different Star Wars um you know, different Star Wars fan films, and you'll find, like, lots of people create, like, all these different fictions between um, using the prequels, like uh, Darth Maul, Kenobi, in between things, like, with the Rebellion, and uh, lots of different things, and um, you can, like I said, you can throw a stone in YouTube and find at least a hundred or a thousand of those. Um, notably, there's a, and I, and I wish I remembered the channel off the top of my head, but there's one that recreated the Kenobi and Darth Vader fight, and it looks amazing. Like, they use um, kind of, you know, current technology, um, a little bit of the kind of more current flashy saber fight in, but also harken back to the kind of old school, like, you know, if they had real swords, that kind of, you know, heaviness that... There's, and I say weight, but, you know, there's just power behind it rather than just in what I consider rave fighting, as some of the uh, prequels does. But anyway, there's, like I said, what I'm trying to get at is that there wasn't a lot of movies and kind of growing up, that's what a lot of people who were in the Star Wars, I feel, wanted. They wanted something, whether it be a new movie or um, a, a TV show based in Star Wars that's just a little bit more adult. Not like, you know, it didn't have to be, you know, HBO level or, um, you know, Netflix level violence and cursing and all this other stuff, but at least just a little bit more, like, that just kind of grew and matured, or just a more mature uh you know show or something you know that that shows like maybe life beyond it or you know just adjacent to it um that's probably why a lot of people initially loved the prequels slash you know were kind of disappointed on how it went only because you know a lot of people loved it because this was new Star Wars con like visible Star Wars content, not just books or games that were out, but actual things you can you know just consume as a show or a movie. But then of course you know some people were disappointed just because it didn't, may not have gone the direction you wanted, or it unfortunately you know in some cases leaned a little bit more toward not just the family but almost the kids. Um, demographic and that's where I think uh, a lot of the newer content kind of fell is that all of a sudden Star Wars became something for kids rather than family and there was a and there, and in my opinion there's a distinct difference when you have something for family that means the entire family can enjoy but every age within that family every age between you know let's say around uh, 10 or 12 on up to somebody in their 30s and 40s and maybe even 50s, a, a show that appeals to family appeals to all those ages. Whereas something that appeals to kids 
is kind of strictly demographic to that smaller age group. And I think, and I don't know, it's just, it just feels that sometimes Star Wars gets that rap that it needs to be more kid-friendly, where I think it just needs to be more family-friendly. I know it's a hard decision uh, or hard, you know, kind of thing to grasp, but this is just my opinions on it. But anyway, um... But one of the things that, you know, that, that's what got, that's what made me real excited about this new series that's coming out in November called The Mandalorian. Now, uh, about a week ago, Disney had their um, kind of like celebration called D23. And much like uh, Comic-Con and other things where, you know, Comic-Con used to be the, the place where a lot of these companies would really showcase not only Marvel and DC would showcase their comics, but also um, other movie companies started using it to showcase upcoming uh, releases that are coming out. Because the comic community is going to be the same community that's going to uh, promote and go out to these movies. So they think, okay, hey, it's going to be a good place to actually advertise it. Well, Disney, of course, having so much content, I mean, they've, you know, bought Star Wars, Marvel, um, pretty much on Pixar, um, from understanding National Geographic, they have so much under their plate, they decided to have their own celebration to showcase theirs. And I can probably go into uh, the Marvel things that they're showing because there's quite a few shows that not only ones that they've talked about, but uh, more details and some of the other ones that I'd love to go into. The main one I want to talk about, and there's a lot of uh, other Star Wars stuff, is The Mandalorian. So um, I'm not going to do like a play-by-play. I'm not going to show it, you know, have the have the uh, trailer. But if you search for it, I, if you're even the slightest fan of Star Wars or want to see something that's just um, more mature, I mean, not more mature, but at least just a, a little bit of serious grit, kind of like an, almost like an old Western in space, I highly recommend going on YouTube and search for the Mandalorian trailer. And trust me, you will not be disappointed. But let me give you a little um, kind of little ins and outs about it, fun facts, and a little bit of why I'm excited about it. So, The Mandalorian is going to be a new show, new a Star Wars show, that premieres on Disney's new streaming service, Disney Plus, on November 12th of this year. And what's cool about this show is that it actually takes place after Return of the Jedi. So, um, if remembering the kind of Star Wars chronology is that after Return of the Jedi Force Awakens takes place I believe 30 years afterwards Um, they decided that since they're going to bring I guess because they're going to be bringing back um, characters like Lon uh, Leia, Han and um, uh, Luke though using them to well, using them the way they felt like they needed to use them. Not saying I agree, but because they're bringing back Leia, Han, Luke, um, even if you watch the uh, trailers for Rise of Skywalker, Lando, they thought to just keep everything in real time. So as the real world has, you know, it's been um, over 30 years since we've seen Return of the Jedi, 30 years pass within the Star Wars universe. 
But that opens up a lot of different things that could have happened in between. And of course, in Force Awakens, we've got things like the new, uh, the First Order that's taken over, and um, Luke has tried to make a Jedi Academy and failed, and uh, there's a, the New Republic has, you know, tried to bring order, but, you know, there's a lot of time in between, and the Mandalorian takes place just five years after Return of the Jedi, so things are kind of wild, so let's go back to Return of the Jedi, where they had just defeated the Emperor and blown up his Death Star, and a lot of the Imperial forces were also taken out, so, like, you had the Death Star destroyed, Emperor is presumed dead, Vader is presumed dead, um, a large, uh, or at least a good, you know, portion of the Imperial fleet's been destroyed. Vader's, uh, pri- uh, you know, main starship, the Super Star Destroyer, that was destroyed. Um, so the Empire's hurting, but at the same time, the Empire's vast across the entire universe. So even though the Republic may have gotten this win, it's still a long way before they can really assume real control and in that time you know you gotta imagine chaos is probably erupting all over the universe and mandalorian is going to kind of take place in this outer rim area where you know the pockets of the empire you know still exist i mean yeah you heard about your emperor being killed but that doesn't change the fact that you're you know keeping law in these kind of um uh, wild outer rim territories, you know, you're still gotta, you know, survive your way, you know, and you haven't heard anything as far as what's taken its place. So, um, it's kind of a law, you know, a little bit of a lawless time. Um, so, you know, we're handling in those kind of like crazy situations. And I think that's really cool. It's showing a different side. It's not showing the force. So, you know, probably not going to really see any Jedi or Sith. It's not really focusing on the overall conflict of this rebellion trying to create a new republic or the empire vying for control. It just shows like these people that are in these outskirt, you know, planets just trying to survive and the Mandalorian, who's a bounty hunter, he's just trying to survive. And um, that's going to be wild. And of course, the Mandalorian, he looks a lot like Boba Fett, which is the uh, most popular Mandalorian. Now, Boba Fett was this bounty hunter character that showed up in Empire Strikes Back, had the most famous line, or n- not his line, but at least Vader's line, of when he's addressing all the bounty hunters, he distinctly points to him and says, no disintegration. Almost to say, like, it, it, it sparked so much imagination. Is like, why did Vader point him out? Why is he telling them, like, you know, this stuff? And, you know, come to find out in books and um, the one I'm going to talk about a little bit later, you find out the deeper story behind it. But it sparked this, you know, phenomenon for Boba Fett. And the Mandalorian, his uniform is uh, kind of like the same design as Boba Fett. Although, if I must admit, I think they made it look a lot cooler. You know, no offense to the green, but... That kind of earth tone browns that if you watch the trailer, that is a nice suit. So, uh, getting some background on The Mandalorian, it's created by John Favre, uh, Favre. 
and hopefully I said that right. Uh, you might know him as he was the director of um, Iron Man and Iron Man 2. So he was one of the guys that uh, pretty much kickstarted the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe. Um, also, more recently, he w- he uh, directed The Lion King 2019. And he also, in um, Iron Man and Iron Man 2, he plays the character of Happy Hogan, who, of course, shows up not only in those movies, but most of the MCU and more recently in uh, Far From Home, uh, the Spider-Man Far From Home. Uh, so, you know, he's had, I mean, as far as reboots, of course, you know, you can see Lion King. And even though, you know, I haven't seen Lion King, I've heard a lot about it. Not my cup of tea to see it live action. I've heard it's done really well. And, you know, I really, and I, even though a lot of people may not like Iron Man 2 so much, I enjoyed Iron Man 2 and Iron Man 1. So, um, and he's bringing that kind of um, passion and energy into Mandalorian, and I am all in for it. But not only do you have him, but you also have a list of different directors that um, will be taken on the episodes. So um, a few of the directors that I have on here is that you have Taika, Taika Waititi, who is um, famous for, I believe, it's uh, Hunt for the Wilder People, as well as Thor Ragnarok. And he's going to be taking on the new Thor Thor Love and Thunder that's going to be coming out I believe sometime either next year or the year after so and he also plays the voice of Korg um, from the uh, Thor and of course uh, later in Endgame but not only that though he's actually going to be a voice or he's going to have a role in um, the Mandalorian so not only is he going to be directing an episode but he's also as a character in it and I'll get to that when I talk about all the list of characters um, we also have uh, Bryce Dallas Howard who's an accomplished actress she's the son of uh, Ron Howard who directed Solo so it's kind of cool that her dad got a chance to direct Solo and his daughter is going to actually direct in a few or one or two episodes of the Mandalorian. So that's kind of a cool, um, you know, kind of father daughter thing. And then you got Rick, and I'm going to say this last name wrong and I apologize, uh, Femue, who did uh, Brown Sugar and Dope. So you've got a really wild and, you know, kind of crazy cast of uh, directors that are going to be taking on this role of making this episode, uh, making this series, not only with their own feels, but with that kind of feel that John Favreau is kind of trying to make. But if you notice that these are um, not only just accomplished directors, but, you know, kind of a little bit seasoned, they're not... Um, mature directors that have been, you know, doing movies like forever, but at the same time, they are um, they are various directors and actors who have been around for the past, um, you know, decade or you know, two decades, um, getting you know, getting their skills and their um, pedigree up. Uh, and also, the music is actually being done by Ludwig. Uh, 
Goranson. I, I, I know I said that one wrong. But um, he may be familiar to a lot of people because he's worked with um, Childish Gambino, okay, Donald Glover, on a lot of his albums. And he's also worked with Ryan Coogler on Creed and Black Panther. So we're getting a, um, you know, a, a current, you know, music composer to really create that atmosphere. And you really... And I wonder if he did the trailer because the trailer really gets you into it if you do have a chance to watch it um so let's actually go over a lot of the stars because this is one of the big things that i want to get at and why this is really appealing to a fan like myself so the main character of the mandalorian is being played by pedro pascal and if you know that name, he's also from uh, Game of Thrones. He was um, Oberyn Martell, but he's also been in, uh, he's a main in the first three seasons of Narcos. Um, he's also in, recently in The Kingsman 2. And it's funny, there's a shot in the uh, trailer where, um, in the Mandalorian trailer, where he's roping uh, this guy and he's pulling him through this door and as the guy's halfway through the door he kind of shoots from the hip and shoots the uh, door uh, door uh, control so it closes in on the guy so it looks like it cuts him off halfway it's gonna be interesting to see how that scene plays out like when it's um, the whole scene plays out uh, but it's funny because I was just thinking about that, that, you know, his character in Kingsman 2 was part of the uh, Uni United States version of Kingsman, the Statesman, and he was like this cowboy who used a lasso and um, kind of, you know, used this revolver. So that's kind of a fun little, like, now he's doing the same thing, but in space. Um, another character that's going to show up is Gina Carano who was a, I believe, a UFC fighter turned actress. And she's been in a lot of movies like Fast and Furious 6, Deadpool, um, Haywire. And she's playing this ex-rebel shock trooper who turns into a, who later becomes a bounty hunter. So you're getting the feel of like, so you're getting the feel of this world where, you know, everything's not black and white. And even though the rebels won, you know, a lot of people are just kind of disenfranchised. Because like I said, even though the Empire had evil leadership, there were just average people just trying to get by or who felt that they were doing the right thing by trying to bring some kind of stability and order. And without it, you know, there's all this chaos and you probably have rebel troops who kind of look at things like, yeah, we won, but, you know, our own leadership isn't doing anything to combat the craziness happening. So it was like... Maybe we should have let the Empire at least have a little bit of a win or something. But it would be interesting to see what her story actually is. How this kind of um, rebel soldier decided to go turn bounty hunter. So I think that's going to be interesting. And she's actually a pretty good actress. Not the greatest, but, you know, hey, you, well, who am I to say? Because I couldn't act worth a damn and um like i said i think she's pretty good at least one of the roles it, it's kind of like one of those things kind of like um what i think of dave batista for instance now if you know dave batista he's the character who plays drax and he was and i, I think was he doesn't do as much he was in the wwe 
And there's there's a big stigma with anybody who comes from either the wrestling entertainment or Gina uh, Gina's case UFC, and they try to do acting. There's just kind of the stigma that they're not good or you know they're just poor actors. But I think it's more on the directors um, that's like, okay, you need to utilize this person. And I'm not talking about just their physicality, but you, you kind of play to their um, strengths and, you know, in, in some cases, hide their weaknesses. So as long as you're playing to your strengths, I think not only can you get a great performance out of these actors, but also help them grow. And even Batista says that, that uh, roles like Drax, um, he's actually in... Uh, what is it? Um, five, four, three, two, one. Oh, Blade Runner, uh, twenty forty nine. He's in the very beginning of that. Um, he shows up as this kind of bad guy for Bond in the new Spectre. And say what you will about Spectre, as far as like how it goes, whatever. Batista was actually a really good bad guy that, you know, I'm pretty sure he's he gets killed. I kind of hope he comes back because he was really, he was really badass at that. And I think Batista in general is a really good actor. It's actually a movie that I'm going to probably watch later on today, um, Hotel Artemis, that I thought was really, that was, that was pretty good and he's in that one. So, again... Play to your strengths, and I think it'll work. And I have a feeling this one with Gina Carano, I have a feeling that they're going to play to her strengths as well. And I really hope that not only does this make it um, a worthwhile role for her, but I hope this opens up more roles. Because I liked her in, uh, for instance, Haywire. I thought was a really good movie. And she played a pretty decent role in Fast and Fast Year 6. And Deadpool, man, her fight between her and Colossus was pretty awesome. Uh, but anyway, keep on going. We've also got uh, uh, Giancarlo Esposito as an imperial uh, moth, which is like the kind of governor of the area or uh, the planet that they eventually go to, as well as a fighter pilot. And Giancarlo Esposito is this actor who's been around forever, and he's played just a myriad of just amazing roles across the board. Um, one of the more recent roles, um, a lot of people know him as Gus from Breaking Bad. Recently I've been watching uh, Jet um, from Cinemax and he's on that as this kind of criminal gangster. Um, I can't remember his name on that one, but he was also in Revolution. It was like this um, kind of post-apocalyptic uh, TV show uh, way back and he was amazing in that too. Um, so we're talking about a really well-seasoned actor uh, playing this Imperial officer slash fighter pilot. So, fighter pilot. So expect to see him in a Tie Fighter cockpit and uh, trying to give orders and just trying to um, you know bring order to this kind of you know little sector that he's still a part of. We also got Carl Weathers and old school action buffs like me should know. That man from not only uh, Rocky, he was Apollo, Action Jackson, Predator, and and he's going to be playing the head of a bounty hunter guild, which is just insane. 
Again, I want to mention uh, Taika Waititi, I mentioned earlier, who's going to be a director, but he's also going to be a voice of the Android IG-11, which is kind of like this uh, battle droid, this uh, attack droid. Now, in the, uh, a lot of Star Wars fans may remember the IG-88 robot, which is another bounty hunter that shows up in Tales of the Bounty Hunter. But um, he's another Bounty Hunter droid, so IG series, and I can't remember what exactly it stood for. I remember it way back as the IG-88 stories usually uh, went into definition of what that IG actually stands for. But um, they're like these kind of attack droids, and IG-11 is probably either this modified or, you know, older droid, but uh, looks like he's either working with or maybe... Yeah, it looks like he's working with... um, uh, the Mandalorian. There's a few shots where you see them side by side. Um, a few other notable actors that I've seen pop up either um, either name dropped or in uh, trailers and little things that have been posted. You got Bill Burr, which I was completely surprised about. Um, Bill Burr is actor, comedian. He's also a podcast host. Um, he's amazing. Just a uh, extremely funny guy if you have a chance to listen to him he's got uh believe it's the monday morning podcast and a thursday just i think it's called just thursday just before friday morning podcast and he's hilarious here in his thoughts and it's just crazy because you know because I'm, I'm not saying he hates star wars but he's just not into that star wars you know Crowd. I mean, he just, he, when you listen to his podcast, you kind of get that, yeah, he just doesn't get it. I mean, he gets the excitement of it, but he just doesn't follow the story like the rest of us does. But it's kind of cool that he's in it, and he's playing this kind of random, uh, at least from the still shots, looks like he's playing this, like, this random kind of either outlaw or smuggler or something. So it should be interesting to see what happens with that. Um, recently it was announced that Ming-Na Wen, Ming-Na Wen from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. and, uh, Mulan, she was also, even though a lot of people want to forget it, but hey, she was a good, she, she played a good role in this, uh, Chun-Li from that Street Fighter movie that we know happened, but don't want to acknowledge happened, but anyway, she's a great actress, she's, like I said, more recently, she's been on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. as May, which... Um, she does an amazing job, just not of just her physicality, but also her acting. Um, she's got like some amazing lines and just, uh, there was even one time where she had to play, uh, or several times she had to play like a double of herself and you would think it would be, you would think it's almost a different actor altogether. Just happens to look like, um, you know, and, but no, she pulls it off amazing so i can't wait to see what it turns out she's um she's gonna be in the show uh but also we've got um mark boone jr may not know the name but if you are a fan of sons of anarchy that was bobby um who was kind of like this um go-to guy for most of sons of anarchy um i'm not gonna give anything spoilers away what happens unfortunately but it's Sons of Anarchy FX show about a gang, uh, a gang a biker gang. You can you know that not all of them are going to make it through all the uh, seasons, but any, but Bobby actually makes it through um, a whole lot of it, and he's kind of like this uh, stable guy. He's also uh, Mark 
Boone has also been in just a plethora of other shows and movies. So he's definitely a seasoned actor, but it's nice to see him. And the last one, which I, a various surprise I have on here, is Nick Nolte. Uh, of course, you know, people know him from uh, 48 Hours, Cape Fear, Hulk. He's a definitely seasoned um, actor, been around for a long time. And I haven't seen what he's going to be yet. So, I mean, like a lot of these other characters, uh, the actors I, I've seen in short stills or, um, like I said, there's the trailer that's out. I've also seen uh, somebody leaked the uh, longer preview that they had at, um, they had one at Comic-Con and I think probably another one at D23. So I've seen some people actually leak those. And you see like, there's one where you actually see Bill Burr in his um, outfit. And um, and I believe there's one where you see um, Mark Boone Jr. Um, walking around and stuff like that. But so far, Nick Nolte, uh, kind of same with uh, Meng Na Wen, I haven't seen anything on who uh, Nick Nolte is going to be. So it should be interesting. Um, so the reason why I'm so excited about this, the reason why I'm really talking about this right now, is the fact that it should, it's not only just that it's a mature, it's a more mature Star Wars show that we're going to be getting, but look at the cast that they're choosing, though. These aren't... Um, like, these aren't young actors. These aren't, like, you know, if you watch the trailer, even though there's one scene where you see this young woman with a child, it's not promoting that. It's not, you know, showing these, you know, no offense, but it's not showing these kind of, like, Disney Plus or CW style, you know, young coming actors. It's not showing um, a love story or interest. There's no cute droid or there's no cute creature or anything like that. It, it doesn't look like it's trying to uh, sell a toy or um, a ride or anything like that. It looks like it's just trying to tell a story and it's trying to tell a story with actors that people like my age of who have grown up with star wars as kids who grew up with the original trilogy as a kids and even who grew up probably with the um uh prequels um at a young age these are actors and stars that we would have known growing up um actors that we've seen in um, in the case of like Nick Nolte or Carl Weathers, you know, actors we've seen in the 80s and 90s, even actors, even actors, actresses like Gina Carano and Pedro Pascal, we've seen them in these more mature uh, shows, you know, in the 2000s and 2010s. But these are, um, you know, these these are actors that are speaking to more of that kind of mature audience and that's why I'm really excited about it because it shows that they're really taking this seriously and this is going to be something that's going to be geared for you know under or my demographic and I think that's that's pretty cool because at least a lot of the you know older Star Wars shows like things like the Clone Wars cartoons, Rebels, the New Resistance, definitely trying to gear for that younger audience. So it's nice to see that Star Wars has decided, okay, well we've got those for the younger audience. Let's get something for our older viewers who have grown up, who want to see that more dark side, that more grittier side of Star Wars. And it's really cool that they're bringing this out. 
So, um, before I completely sign off, and it's getting kind of late with this one, I knew this would run long, and I'm trying to, you know, kind of get everything I want out before it ends uh, prematurely. But, you know, this kind of goes back to um, the book that I was telling you about called Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Now, Tales of the Bounty Hunters is considered a Star Wars Legends. And, of course, if you know what that means, is that. When Disney bought Star Wars and bought the, you know, entire license, they only wanted to keep the movies and the Clone Wars cartoons as their main canon. That way they're able to create new shows, comics, whatever they want, movies, without feeling restricted to all the movie, all the, not sorry, not the movies, but all the books and the games and the older comics that came before it. So all that stuff became what's called Star Wars Legends, which means it's no longer the full canon. So uh, things like Thrawn and um, Luke's clone, Mara Jade, uh, some of these names you probably <laughs> Don't even recognize uh, what I talked about earlier. Dash Rendar, Prince Caesar, all these different characters I'm talking about, all these different events, they didn't happen, or at least not the way they happened in those books. So it gives them freedom to, if they did decide to bring them back, they can kind of put their own spin or they're not hampered by it. But one of the cool books that I do want to mention, and I recommend that if you can find this, definitely give it a read, is actually pretty cool called Tales of the Bounty Hunters. Now, it came out in 1966 and it's an anthology of short stories from several authors that talk about the bounty hunters on Vader's ship. So, in Empire Strikes Back, there was a scene after the uh, Millennium Falcon uh, escapes Vader's grass that he figures, okay, I've got to... I've got to play this differently to try to get them. So he hires bounty hunters. And there's a kind of a cool scene where um, the hero officer kind of goes like, you know, bounty hunters, who needs that scum? But kind of says it a little bit too close to uh, boss, who's this kind of lizard uh, alien. And uh, Vader kind of, you know, he just says, hey, um, I'm giving a seat reward, whoever gets the bounty, whoever gets them, and I don't want any disintegration, and they all go off on their own to try to find it. And of course, we know that Boba Fett's the one who kind of comes out on top, ends up getting, uh, ends up uh, signaling them, and gets Han, and you know, the rest is Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. But what Tales of the Bounty Hunter does is that's kind of like the meeting point. So it follows uh, the bounty hunters of Boba Fett, Dengar, IG-88, Bosk, and the team of Zuckus and Forlom. And these are all the bounty hunters that showed up on the bri- on the ship. And basically it goes into a little bit of their backstory, how they got to that point. That's like kind of like the main point of each of their stories is this meeting point. That's kind of like the same on all fronts. Each story is written by a different um, author. And that's kind of like one of the main points is when they meet each other. And then it talks about like how they went about, how they, you know, tried to find it. Uh, Boba Fett's is kind of funny because he, his more or less kind of talks about like an aftermath and how he eventually escapes the Sarlacc pit by blowing himself up. Which it's weird because it was also a Boba Fett novel that came out later that I've got to read that 
I don't know, kind of contradicts it a little bit. It's kind of, that one's kind of weird. And that story ends odd because it kind of ends with him and Han facing off um, blasters. Like, they're both old and they end up, like, facing off against each other. And it ends with them, like, pointing blasters at each other. So it's interesting. Um, Dengars is another one that's kind of interesting because he, um, cause he's a little bit slower than the other ones. He kind of gets sidetracked when he meets in Cloud City and, um, ends up helping, he ends up, like, helping somebody else out. Like, there was another person that, it, like, kind of like his partner that he ends up having to help. The IG-88 one is probably the funniest only because this droid... Because it turns out IG-88 wasn't just one droid. He actually made several copies of himself. And if you look closely in Return of the Jedi... I'm sorry, in Empire Strikes Back... Actually, no, I take it back in both. In Empire Strikes Back, when Chewie is trying to find C-3PO, you see a... Um, I guess it's like a burnt-out version where like he had been destroyed. Because in the book, you find out that... IG-88 did manage to get to Cloud City, but Boba Fett got the drop on him and killed him and destroyed him. And you could see his remains in in a scene in um, uh, Empire Strikes Back. But not only that, as Boba Fett was getting to Jabba's palace, he's attacked again, and Boba Fett gets the drop on him again. And I believe his remains are found in... Java's Palace too, so he doesn't have the greatest track record. But one of the funniest moments of it is that he actually puts his consciousness into a CPU unit that is eventually used for the new Death Star. And in the book you find out that he was actually like controlling the Death Star in a sense, where he was making calculations so that they're uh, fire rates were actually more accurate um, earlier before the battle he was kind of playing tricks I remember this because it was kind of funny he was playing tricks on the emperor like, re- like keeping the doors shut on the elevator and then something was pushing the doors open he couldn't quite understand what it was he had heard rumors of it but it didn't meet but like the force didn't meet a scientific um, understanding for him and in the end, after he destroyed the rebels, he was planning on making this like this taking the Death Star and doing this full Robo rebellion across the universe. So it's kind of funny to think that if uh, they didn't win, there's a kind of what if scenario that IG-88 would have just commanded this Death Star to um, start a whole Robo evolution. I mean. Imagine if Skynet actually had a Death Star rather than just Terminators. So that would have been kind of interesting. And that would make a pretty fun what-if comic. So if they ever decide to kind of bring back what-if comics for Star Wars, that would be kind of a fun what-if. What if the Rebellion lost, but IG-88 was still in command of the... uh, Or he was still uploaded and controlled the Death Star, how that would have fared for, like, the Emperor. Would he have, like, joined the Emperor? Or would he have just, um, like, opened a uh, escape hatch and 
vacuumed him out to space or something. So it's crazy. But um, like I said, novels back in 1996. It's great. Like these fun stories on, you know, these different takes on these uh, different bounty hunters. There's several books that have come out like that. Um, I believe like Tales of Most Isley and Tales of Java's Palace were two great ones where Tales of Most Isley took the event um, when uh, Obi-Wan and Luke first arrive at Mos Eisley to um, hook up with Chewie and Han and like all the different aliens that you meet there. And then of course Jabba's Palace um, is about different aliens that were in Jabba's Palace during a time where Luke and the rest of them went to try to break out Han. So that's a great one. But I'm getting to, you know, kind of the end point of this because, like I said, this is a topic that I can go on forever about. I'm excited. Um, but I want to try to wrap this up. But mainly saying that The Mandalorian is a, looks like it's going to be a really great show, and I really hope it is. Um, if you have a chance, check out the... Um, check out the trailer tell me what you think and I think it's going to be really cool and if you're looking for an older Star Wars book to read even though it's technically um, considered uh, legend so not really in the canon but I thought it was a real good read and worth checking out Tales of the Bounty Hunter is a nice um, you know kind of read on these different bounty hunters their lives and just craziness but um, and I meant to say this earlier, but if you do have any comments, any questions, you have something that you want to recommend for me to do on the show at least at one point, or maybe even have um, some suggestions on what I can do to make things better, please, uh, you can leave a comment through Anchor. Um, they do voice message. But if you want to just type something out, you can send me a message either by email at themorningstarjournal at gmail.com. That's all spelled out. The Morning Star Journal, um, no spaces, no dashes or anything like that. Just all the Morning Star Journal at gmail.com. You can also find me on Twitter at Morning Star Journal. Uh, journal spelled J R N L. Again, I want to thank anyone who's listening. I really appreciate. I really appreciate anyone who takes the time to listen to me ramble on about you know, Star Wars or anything else that kind of comes up, but I definitely appreciate it and I want to make this grow and make it better. And also I'll definitely be reaching out to my friend, uh, David with Car Thoughts with David, because we still need to do an aliens. And also since I am talking about Star Wars, I think I definitely have to get him back on because, um, I'm a big Star Wars fan. He is a big Star Wars fan too. So um, I'll definitely have to get him on when I talk more about um, when the Mandalorian and of course when Rise of the Skywalker, the new Star Wars movie, episode nine, um, when that comes out at the end of this year. Um, so David, I haven't forgotten. Um, just need to kind of figure out the best time. And like I said, the next one is definitely Alien so we can finish up the uh, 80s trilogy of Aliens, Terminator, and Predator. And I'm still trying to figure out the best uh, abbreviation for that. Uh, PTA? APT? TAP? Yeah, I'll figure out something. Anyway, thank you all for listening, and I hope you all have a great weekend. Peace.